a 10-week sermon series that is concluding today, a series entitled The Ministry of Reconciliation. Today's sermon I've titled A World Reconciled. So if we're about the ministry of reconciliation, then we want to think about what happens when that ministry is completed. Where does it go? It goes to a world reconciled. So that's what we'll be looking at today. Just want to let you know that next week we're going to begin a new sermon series, and who knows how long it will go, maybe to the summer. We're going to be looking at the life of Abraham beginning in Genesis chapter 12, and we'll be studying Abraham for quite a few months, I think. But today, again, concluding a ministry of reconciliation. Why don't we turn over to that central passage to this sermon series, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 to 21. Follow along with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. That's our launching point these past ten weeks. And from, I want to review where we have been over the past 10 weeks. We're going to kind of hit it week by week. So the first week, we considered that we share, we who are in Christ share a twofold identity. We are new creations in Christ, and we are ambassadors. You cannot be one without the other. You are a new creation, and you are an ambassador. And therefore, if you regard yourself as born again, if you have been born again, made anew, and you do not work as an ambassador striving to faithfully represent Jesus who is king, then that means that you're living out of a broken identity. So we need to be new creations in Christ and ambassadors. It's who we are. In the second week of this sermon series, we considered that everyone knows God as God truly is, and yet that knowledge is suppressed for a lie. The truth is substituted for a lie. So it's our job as ambassadors of Christ to show people the truths that are hidden in the very core of their being, suppressed truths. The primary means by which we do this is through the gospel, and this was our third week. The gospel being God, man, Christ response. In the fourth week, we looked at the oftentimes the clearest, most powerful way to, to give the gospel to somebody is through our testimony. So for example, there was a time in my life when I caused heartache, and I knew heartache, and in countless ways I tried to fix the yawning abyss that was in my soul, and I chased after status and attention and girls and adventure, and nothing worked. Nothing even came close. And I knew it to the very core of my being that I am a broken sinner, and my sinfulness meant that I am in conflict with my creator, and I... I felt this, but through a series of difficult events, the weight of God's love began to change me and 
infiltrate that cold, empty heart. And I began to understand his great love, a love that he demonstrates so powerfully on his son, with his son on a cross, crucified in my place, dying my death. And because Jesus took my death that I deserve, he took away my condemnation, I am forgiven. I know no longer does God look on me with judgment, but he looks on me with favor. He looks at me and he sees his beloved son, Christ. And he loves me like his son. By grace, Christ's life applied to my own. His righteousness, my righteousness. With such an understanding... These things invade your heart. It means that you've got to, you not have to leave those empty pursuits, those old ways of living. You turn away from them, repent, and come wholeheartedly in faith to Jesus Christ, who is your Lord. It's something you have to do every day. It's not just one moment, a moment of salvation. It's every day. And so with confidence, I now know that the cross of Christ has conquered this rebellious heart and is conquering this rebellious heart reconciling me unto God. Love has filled the emptiness. His love has filled the emptiness, which I could not. God transformed my life, continues to transform my life, and he can transform your life too. And so if, that, if you thirst to know God in such a way, then he beckons to you, repent and believe. And if you want that, I'd love to talk with you after the service. So that is, my, that is my testimony. God, man, Christ response, all embedded within the story of how God has transformed this heart. In the fifth week of the sermon series, as we learn that as we proclaim the gospel, as we share our testimony, we want to be looking for that person of peace, identifying those who are receptive to us and to our gospel message and they're the ones then that we invest in and that we pursue. We want to bring them into the kingdom. And so we looked at ways to categorize them, to categorize, me, categorize people who are receiving gospel or hearing gospels. Red lights, those who don't want it. Yellow lights, those who are saying, I'm interested. Green lights who say, I want in. Those yellow lights and green lights are the persons of peace that we want to pursue. The sixth week, after we find that person of peace, we considered how do we then disciple them? The Great Commission, Jesus tells us to make disciples, teaching, teaching them to obey all that he has commanded us. So how do we practically go about doing that? And, and we looked at, we want, to, we want to get them in front of the Bible. We want them to see the words of God and study them. We want to bring them to church. We want to teach them to obey Jesus. In the seventh week, our brother Ben Ossenbach rem, reminded us that being an ambassador of Christ it can be a dangerous mission. The cost of following Jesus is high. The ministry of reconciliation comes with a personal cost. We need to be ready. On the eighth week, we considered the church and how that, this, disciples people, brand new followers, lifelong followers, we need the church. It is essential to our lives. Those who play loose with the church, they have little regard for what Christ sacrificed his life for, his bride. So we want to love her, and loving her is loving Christ. 
And last week we looked at the abounding harvest. In every direction we look, there are fields white for the harvest. The easiest thing in the world is to find the field ripe for the harvest. And so we must obey our Lord, the Lord of the harvest, and labor for this harvest and, and pray that God would send more laborers into this harvest. Even though there are weeds and there are wolves, the time for harvesting is now. And this is the glorious work of the church. And all of it fitting within our ministry of reconciliation. The Father has called us, the Son has commissioned us, and the Spirit empowers us. Therefore, if God is for us, then who can be against us? We must labor together as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. For nine weeks, we have looked at this mission. And today, as we consider what it looks like when the mission is complete, or shall I say nearing its end, we're going to see that Christ is king. Today and tomorrow, that the church is expanding his kingdom through the ministry of reconciliation and will continue to do so until we see that king again. And that is when this ministry is completed. So as I endeavor to answer those questions or expound upon those things, I think you're going to notice some themes from Revelation. Indeed, this whole sermon series is a follow-up to our series in Revelation. Our passage today is Colossians 1, verses 15 to 23. Turn there in your Bibles. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in him... Everything might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Oh God, let us receive these words with faith, not by sight, but by faith, and then live them out, speaking the gospel in all creation bringing the ministry of reconciliation to bear on this whole world. For it is our desire that you would be hallowed, that your will would be done, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Oh God, do this great work. Do it even today as we hear your word. 
pray in Christ's name. Amen. We see it pretty clearly in, in this passage in Colossians. Before everything, above everything, and in everything, Christ is preeminent. He is above it all. It is all for him, for his glory. And verse 15 says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. We're going to dive a little more deeply into that because it has powerful implications for our ministry of reconciliation. So God is invisible. That's what it says in verse 15. He is not physical. God cannot be seen. He's not made of molecules from which photons, light waves can reflect. God is spirit, and as spirit, he cannot be seen. In fact, when Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he said that no one has ever seen God, nor can see God. So all that stuff in the Old Testament where God's showing up, Paul is saying, no one has seen God. That's intriguing. No one has seen God. No one can see God. And yet, in the face of Jesus Christ, we have seen God. The image of, God, of the invisible God in the face of Jesus Christ, or the writer of Hebrews puts it this way, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. What does God look like? Look at Jesus. It says in verse 19 of our passage in Colossians 1, Christ is the fullness of God. The fullness of God. Of God. I love the way that St. Augustine writes in in his book, The Confessions. He talks about where can we go that God is not? What can be filled that isn't already filled with God? He is everywhere. His fullness is so full it fills all things. And, and, And Christ is the image of this. The picture of it. We can see Jesus, and we can know God. And verse 15 says that Christ is the firstborn of all creation, which in no way means that Jesus was born or that he was created. Actually, I don't know if you realize this, but that's a prophetic title of a covenant that God made with David. And in that covenant, God speaks about David's offspring. He says, he says this, And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So Jesus doesn't become the firstborn because he was the first to be born or the first to be created. You see what's implied in that, that verse in Psalms? Jesus already eternally existed. He was there. But God made him to become the firstborn. So before the foundations of the world were laid, the Father gives His Son the glory and the honor and the position associated with being the firstborn. And Psalm 89 is so clear on what that means for Jesus to be the firstborn. It means that He is the highest King of all the earth. It means that Jesus rules the planet. Now back in Colossians, look at, look at verses 16 and 17. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You can just hear Paul like bursting with worship as he writes these words. Christ is the image of God, the firstborn, the king over all the earth. He is before all things, and all things are for him. And he has no equal in every dominion and authority and ruler is right now subject to this king. Or as Paul wrote to the Ephesians, the father raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. That is awesome. Jesus reigned as king when Paul wrote those words, and in the following age. And we're not going to spend the time right now to sort out those two ages, but the Bible is clear. Jesus is king of heaven and earth right now. 1043, Sunday the 13th, 2002, Jesus is king. As we breathe, he reigns above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion. So the war between Russia and Ukraine is ruled by Christ. COVID was subject to Jesus. The results of last week's election happened at the will of the king. Hebrews 2.8. Now, in putting everything in subjection to Christ, the Father left nothing outside of his control. Notice how definitively that passage is in the past tense. Everything that happens in the planet, in the universe, is under the control of Jesus. Scripture is clear. Jesus is presently the high and sovereign king over the entire created order. And I am laboring this point because there exists a tension. It might appear even like a contradiction. But fear not, we Christians know a lot about these types of tensions because we believe in one God and three persons. We believe Jesus, fully God, fully man, simultaneously. Figure that out. Limited man, limitless God in one person. The tension we collide with today is that Jesus is king over the whole earth, and yet there's so much that occurs on this earth that is evil, that is in rebellion against Jesus, that is antichrist. And this sobering reality was not lost to the New Testament writers. So let's look again at Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to finish reading that verse we already read part of. Now, in putting everything in subjection to Christ, the Father left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So you see what that verse is saying? Everything falls under Christ's control. And yet it does not always appear like Christ is ruling over them. I think this is the great tension of our new covenant age. Jesus is currently king. And yet it doesn't look like Jesus is currently king. 
But make no mistake, just because it doesn't appear that Jesus is always king, it in no way diminishes the clear and present reality that Christ is the reigning sovereign. Colossians 1, I think, also recognizes this tension in verses 19 and 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That verse, that very verse, implies if he's making peace, that means that there is not peace. If he is reconciling all things, it means that they are yet unreconciled. Jesus controls everything. And yet everything that he controls is not in harmony with the will of the Father. Not everything is peaceful. Not everything is done in righteousness. Not everything has been made holy. But don't you see, that's, that's what this king is doing. That's his purpose. That's why the cross was bloodied. To take what is evil and wicked and make them righteous. The single point where heaven and earth first touch is a bloody cross. This image behind me is helpful. It's like two worlds coming together. And that point, that first initial point where they meet is a cross. And as time passes, they merge heaven and earth, merging, drawing together more and more. I don't know if you realize it, but Orthodox Judaism, the point of Judaism is not to leave the planet, to escape this terrible place. It's to bring heaven and earth together. Just think of the Psalms. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Not, oh Lord, take me up. Come here. So we're going to make a distinction. I want you to see that the glories of heaven and the horrors of earth come together in that cross. And from that point forward, they are drawing together. The distinction is that Jesus is king over all the earth, but Jesus' kingdom is not apparent for all. This is the difference between Christians and non-Christians. Right? Christ's kingdom, kingdom is made up of people who recognize that Jesus is the king. They love him. They obey him. We steward our resources, our, our time, our environment in such a way that honors this great king. In other words, the, the kingdom of God is the place where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And those that don't recognize that, that don't want that, that don't know that, they belong to a different kingdom. Jesus himself tells us that the kingdom of God, where, where God's will is done, does not come upon us all at once, like, boom, kingdom, done. It's quite the opposite, in fact. That doesn't happen in our hearts. Otherwise, we'd be totally sanctified, totally glorified all at once if the kingdom just fully erupted in us. And it doesn't happen in our world that way. The kingdom of God arrives in this earth through a process, through growth, through slow and steady progress. Jesus told us the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and make its nest in its branches. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a seed that grows into a tree. So here's a challenge. Maybe today, maybe this year, go outside, sit down, watch a tree grow. Do not think you will find it exciting. I bet you'll give up. There was a time I was studying forestry at Penn State, and I took part in an academic study that monitored the the growth and reproduction of trees, which is like super exciting. Just imagine watching National Geographic, trees growing, you know, they like to show things reproducing, not so much with trees. So we would go out to the most remote forests in Pennsylvania, deep into the woods, rain or shine or thunder or whatever, didn't matter. For that entire summer, whole summer, I did not see a single tree grow. We were looking. But you know what? I didn't need to because I was a part of a 50-year study. Just a little tiny part of it. Literally, generations of students were participating, had participated in that study through the years. The, the first professors that began the study had died by the time I was walking through the Pennsylvania forests. It's a special study because it was known from the beginning that those who started it could not possibly finish it. Such is the nature of trees. You only notice their growth after a span of time, and only after a very great span of time does that growth look significant. This is the type of growth that I think we should think about when Jesus talks about his kingdom. The kingdom grows slowly, And in the span of our lifetime, that growth might seem imperceptible. You know what? But when we lift our eyes from our own tiny little lives, we can see how much the kingdom of God has grown. The mustard seed, that is Christ, that fell to the earth and died. It happened in a time when the emperors called themselves gods and demanded to be worshipped. I'm glad we don't vote for people like that today. Everyone in that time expected the powerful to dominate the weak. Slavery was embedded within global culture across the planet. There were locations in Rome, on the Palatine Hill, in fact, where the nobility had designated places where they could rape the lower classes. Public gore was a state-sanctioned entertainment Countless other activities that would offend all of our sensibilities, nauseating us, they were happily accepted in the first century. And what was happening in Rome was common on earth. So we may not like where we are in society today, but it has come light years from that first century. The darkness that preceded the cross is unimaginable to us today. Christianity has transformed the world and continues to transform the world. Or as Colossians 1.19 tells us, I'm going to paraphrase this, Jesus is reconciling all things to himself, bringing together heaven and earth, making that peace by the blood of his cross. 
So over the span of some 2,000 years, you can see how much this kingdom of God has grown. And in our, life, in our lifespan, it seems tiny. It might even seem like nothing is happening. It might seem like things are going backwards. But again, let's lift our eyes up off of our tiny little lives and look at the planet. Because in Iran, they are seeing tens of thousands of people coming to Christ every year. In Ethiopia and Nigeria, they are expo- experiencing some of the most explosive revivals that have ever come to that continent. The church is beginning to dramatically expand in Afghanistan, and they're predicting that maybe the greatest revival on earth is going to shift now to Afghanistan, even under some of the heaviest persecution on the planet. And these are just a few examples of the powerful expansion of the gospel of the kingdom of God. People groups, we just looked at one, that in all of human history have never received the gospel are today receiving it at a rate that has never happened in human history. We just sent some missionaries to some of these people groups in India. The king reigns. His kingdom expands even if it's hard for us to see it. And it is so much bigger than what a single life can observe. And so like everything else in the kingdom of God, we receive it by faith and not by sight. I hope you can already see it. I want to be crystal clear about it. How does the kingdom of God grow? How does it expand and fill the earth? Let's finish our passage in Colossians because Paul makes it, I think, obvious. Colossians 21 through 23. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Jesus is reconciling people. Recreating us, making us into new creations so that we become holy and blameless, blameless, so that we who were once sinners are becoming the righteousness of God. God is working through the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform people. And when we are recreated in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in our hearts and heaven has made a home in flesh and blood. Heaven and earth touch in the heart of everyone who is born again. And now, in the image of Christ, who is the image of the Father, that begins to be seen in us. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, beholding the glory of Jesus, are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The image of God, of Christ, in our faces. And it doesn't all happen at once. We're transformed progressively, bit by bit, one degree of glory to another. At the moment of salvation, we were transformed. And as we live our lives, we are more and more transformed into the image of Christ. And as it is with us, so it is with the world. Spirit of God, living in our hearts, the glories of heaven, filling these hearts with greater and greater measure, with love and joy and 
peace, and patience, and, God, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. The glories of heaven. And these hearts, and Jesus says that these glories are going to spill out of us. They're going to flow like rivers of living water into this planet that surrounds us. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And that's not so we can just be super soakers to one another. The earth was once flooded in condemnation. Now it's being flooded in recreation through these hearts, through the work of the Holy Spirit in these hearts. The earth being flooded with the glories of heaven, with the things that give life and give it abundantly. And so the more that the church brings the gospel to bear on the earth, these two worlds come together. The more heaven and earth unite, which is exactly why Jesus sends us out as his ambassadors. Why he's given us the ministry of reconciliation, which has been the focus of this sermon series. Our ministry of reconciliation is ultimately to transform this planet for the glory of Christ. Again, from 2 Corinthians 5. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Oh, should we think that God's reconciliation of this world is going to fail? He does not fail. His ways are not thwarted. He will reconcile this world to this world to himself. And as ambassadors, God is using us, the church, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth and through our gospel proclamation, Jesus reconciles the world unto God. The church is entirely devoted to loving and obeying Christ, who is reconciling the world. Because he is our head. Look at, look at verse 18 in Colossians 1. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Christ is the head of the church, our king, our ruler. We are the church. We are the ambassadors that faithfully take the ministry of reconciliation to the ends of the world for Christ who is reconciling that world. I know I'm repeating things, but how important it is for us, the body, to understand this because we are the hands that serve, that heal. We are the vocal cords that speak. We are the feet that go. We are the shoulders that bear one another's burdens. We are the body. And Christ is our head. He directs us. He gives us vision. He tells us how to think about the world. Look at verse 23. Paul says something outrageous. That the gospel was proclaimed in all creation under heaven. He says it in the past tense, as if it's something that's already happened. This has profound meanings to other parts of Scripture, particularly Matthew 24. But I don't believe Paul is meaning this in a literal sense, that everywhere, like even in the middle of Antarctica, the gospel was proclaimed. It is true that within the lifetime of Paul, the gospel was proclaimed in the entire known world 
or Roman Empire. But in verse 23, Paul is intentionally touching on a phrase that is exploding with eschatological significance. Paul uses that phrase with, because it has eschatological significance. Psalm 72, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Isaiah 11 The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, Jesus stands as a signal to the nations from there, from a cross. The Old Covenant was not just pointing towards the Messiah. It was pointing towards the Messiah who would fill the earth with the glory of God. In other words, the Old Covenant was showing us that when the Messiah appeared, so also would appear the kingdom of God, where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's precisely what began to happen. And now the kingdom of God grows person by person through the centuries. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it and until... This whole earth is reconciled unto God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the very message that we ambassadors carry to the ends of the earth. For the king told us this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Yes, the Great Commission and the Ministry of Reconciliation are the same thing. We are ambassadors of the king unto the nations, calling all people to be reconciled unto God. And if they bow their knee, we baptize them, teach them, we teach them how to be disciples of Jesus Christ, how to be ambassadors. We want Jesus Christ to be preeminent in our hearts, right? We want all the the weeds of life, all of these distractions to be uprooted and thrown into the fire and we want Christ to stand singularly as our great desire. We want this, right? Yes. We want this for our world. And so we will not abdicate to the things of the world. This is Christ's world. And he will reign. And so this is why we pray every day. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There are a variety of places that tell us what it looks like when God does answer this prayer. Places that give us glimpses into a world reconciled. But there's one passage in my mind that is so powerful and clear. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 24 through 26. Then comes the end. When he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom of God, the the kingdom of God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he, Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus reigns as king of this earth until the earth 
is conquered. And once it's conquered, he gives this pure, spotless bride to his father. And the last enemy to be defeated is death. That's the resurrection. When we, when we see his face and death is defeated and the ministry of reconciliation is consummated and that prayer, that prayer is answered finally and forever. God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. And this all, amazingly, it really is amazing that God would do this reconciling work. Christ would do this reconciling work through his body, the church. Look at us, how feeble and weak and broken we are. And God is transforming the planet. Bringing all things into subjection to Jesus Christ. And every demonic power and every satanic stronghold will fall before the advancing church. Because Jesus told us that the gates of hell will not stand before us. Every spiritual ruler and authority and power and dominion will be bound by the cords of Christ's gospel. And this kingdom will go on through the centuries until every enemy is subjugated to Jesus Christ, the risen and ascended king of the entire planet. And then he resurrects the dead, and then he defeats death once and for all. And our hope is realized. Our faith becomes our sight. And it will be a world where every knee bows down and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. It is a world where the mustard seed has grown into a garden-filling tree. It is a world where the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. Waters that flow from these spirit-filled hearts. As Christ's body, as his ambassadors, we have been commissioned to fulfill this work. And we know that the work is bigger than our lives. And yet we need to give our lives unto the work. God's entrusted you, each of you, with the ministry of reconciliation. What an awesome responsibility. But he recreated you. He made you new so that you could do this. He filled you with his Holy Spirit to empower you for you. You are new creations in Christ, and through you, God is making all things new. Jesus Christ is king, and the world needs to know it, so proclaim it. Tell them about their great king, and maybe, maybe today they would bow their knee. Make disciples out of them. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Let's pray together this prayer. I'd like to hear you. Let's pray it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we ask you do this work. We know you are doing it. And even if our lives are too small to see it, we want to see it. Help us to live by faith, not by sight faithfully proclaiming your gospel, going out into these fields that are so ripe for the harvest and working to bring glory to Christ, our King, ruler of heaven and earth. 
Let us bow our knees, not just in word, but in deed. May Christ be magnified. And in his name we pray. Amen.